You're listening to a Sin podcast. You can listen to this show live by tuning your radio to 90.7 or online at sin.org.au. Kids should go to school. That's what we're committed to. I haven't flip-flopped. I said no originally, then I said yes, then I have said no and I've stuck to it. I didn't need to do this. I've already done a lot of war for the election. The English fought a civil war over this over this matter. Don't deal with the nuance of the Canberra bubble. I don't know what to do with it. We have so much money. What we want is more learning in schools and less activism in schools. Issues that perhaps may be controversial today, but 30 years from now, your children, your grandchildren are going to be thankful that you stood up for what it was right. Represent. 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 You're listening to... Welcome to our special edition of Represent, broadcasting on a Thursday, which is quite unusual for us. Um, Today we have a very special guest and we are super excited to chat to him. So Sammy J is a comedian, satirist, broadcaster, writer and composer, many strings to his bow. He's currently hosting ABC Radio Melbourne's Breakfast Show, as well as playing a show, Good Hustle, at the Comedy Festival. And he's about about to embark on a national tour with that show. He's also one half of Sammy J and Randy and has been nominated for a swathe of international awards for that duo. So, Sammy, tell us about your comedy festival show. Give us, like, a little bit of a hint about what's in it. Well, oh, my gosh. Hello, Bridie. Hello, Naya. Hello, Freddie. Uh, Well, the hint is it's towards the end of the festival now, so everyone's a little bit exhausted, but the offside of that is that everyone's shows are humming along, you know, like I'm having heaps of fun. Uh, all the laughs are coming out where they're meant to. When sometimes you start a show, people laugh at the wrong spots. Now I've fixed all that. Uh, that the show good. is <laughs> a collection of characters from um, from my ABC sketches I've been doing for the past five years. So it's, it's a whole big sort of celebration of Australian politics and society and culture. And it's even got a cameo from the Prime Minister. So I pulled some big strings for this one. Yeah, wow, that's super exciting. That's it. That's so cool. So with the Comedy Festival... Um, it's such a big event with all these different comedians, and it's so cool. And um, what's it sort of like being in that environment with all these different comedians, this massive month-long sort of epic, especially after sort of COVID has sort of railroaded that for a little bit? Yeah. It's actually like, it's, it's for me, this is my 20th year doing it, so it's a weird thing to say that, and I sound like, I feel like an old man when I say that, but honestly... It's no longer uh, just like a really exciting party town. It's like a part of my life. Like I remember, you know, I did my first festival when I was 19 years old. So I, I can tap back into that version of me whilst at the same time now I'm 39 with kids. Uh, so it's for me, it's like a, a soundtrack to my life. It's there every single year, except obviously during the, the COVID years. Um, but I think because of that, I appreciate it more and more. Like, let's be honest, you know, we're all going to die in, what, 10 years or 50 years? It'll happen at some point. Friday, Naya and Freddie, that's all I'm saying. Yeah. So, <laughs> so uh, motivational. I, the, the, the older I get, the, the more I appreciate the, the good things in life when you also see the bad things. So festival to me is just an amazing uh, celebration of comedy and art. And because I live in Melbourne and I've always lived in Melbourne, it's easy for us locals to just assume every city's like that. And it's just not. Like there's only a couple of cities in the world that have a comedy festival and only one other one, which is Edinburgh, that has a bigger festival than our one. So it's, yeah, it's a really cool and special time. 
Yeah, it definitely is. Um, so with your like process of writing sort of the comedy shows and I mean also your sketches, at what point do you have an idea and like where does it kind of change from being just an idea to being enough to make it into a sketch or into, you know, a show? Yeah, well, it, it, it always depends on the project. So if I'm writing a song, for example, that might be a different process to a, a comedy sketch about politics. Um, but it always starts with something that makes me laugh. You know, there's, there's an idea where I think, oh, there's something in that. And uh, like uh, one example, uh, the song that I did for this year's Comedy Festival Gala, which is all about the 90s and, and how funny and convoluted everything was back in the 90s. I think I started writing that five years ago. Like I did, wrote a little note on my phone and recorded a voice memo. And I just forgot about it and ignored it until a couple of months ago. And then I dusted it back off and it had new life again this year because of what we've been through with COVID. I thought there were some interesting parallels. Um, so that's an example of an idea that stayed as a germ for half a decade and then came out. Other times there are songs or poems that I've done on TV which got written in the makeup chair two hours before filming. So yeah. there is no, um, th- 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 there's no consistent pattern, but, but it always starts with something that I think is a, an original or an interesting idea. And then I sort of, uh, just pursue it. Yeah, super cool. Okay. I feel like it's so interesting to get like an insight into, you know, people who are obviously very successful and have been doing it for such a long time. You know, you've got so much experience and I find it really fascinating to get an insight into the process behind that. I wish it was, I wish like, you know, as I say, I'm, I'm feeling older lately. So I feel like I wish <laughs> I could say, well, here's how you do it. And it's really simple and it, it never gets easier, but you get more confident. Like I feel like I, I'm more, if I write a song now, I'm, I feel like I've got a better idea of whether the audience will like it or not before I even perform it to them because you, you get your muscles up and you sort of have a, have a better sense of trusting your judgment, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. Um, and Sammy, as you may know, we are a political radio show um, and you oh, have done... Oh, that's why I'm doing this. I'm excited. <laughs> <laughs> and you have uh, talked to a myriad political people and, and people involved in that area of the world and I'm sure you're asked this a million times. Uh, what has been your favourite political interview? Oh, I actually don't get asked that at all because oh. people don't... Um, people normally just say, like, oh, do politicians get offended? And, <laughs> and I haven't... I also I haven't done heaps of interviews because I think these days politicians are a bit scared of me. Like um, I, I will say my my favourite political sort of it wasn't so much an interview as an experience. But about six years ago, in fact, exactly six years ago, I was doing a little show for iView on ABC called um, the Sammy J's Democratic Party, where I pretended I was in a bunker underneath Parliament House, and it was just like a little late night ten minute sketch show. So I was asking politicians if they would um, come on, and so I was emailing all these politicians just via their websites. And I emailed Anthony Albanese, who was the then, like, opposition uh, infrastructure spokesperson, you know, like a nobody, basically. And, <laughs> and I thought, like, one of his people might get back to me. And he emailed me back directly, like, half an hour later. I was like, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll do something. <laughs> and so he flew down the next week, and we filmed the whole sketch. It's still up on YouTube, like, this absurd sketch where he came in and tried to launch a leadership coup of me in my bunker. And I swore at him, and, like, we just hung out for the day and stuff. And that was fun because he was a good sport. But now what's cool is I can say I know the Prime Minister. And that's, as a political nerd growing up, like that's a pretty sweet flex to be able to, to say. That's um, the dream. Also, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, 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 and that's, the, that's my secret shame, guys, because uh, I'm just a politics nerd. I love politics. Uh, you know, I went to the mock parliamentary debating sessions when I was in high school and all that stuff. So all my comedy and satire is just an excuse to be close to power. And so um, that's, that's where I find myself now. So with all of this interaction that you have sort of in the world of politics with all those people and, of course, having a role at the public broadcaster, 
has there ever been a sketch or a joke that you've sort of looked back on and gone, oh, I don't agree with that or I regret doing that? <laughs> well, regret is a strong word uh, because we all probably regret a million things in life. So I've, I've learned to be... I've learned to be easy on myself when it comes to like old material, like stuff I was doing 20 years ago on stage. I just get cancelled for these days, you know, but I think, well, okay, but I was young, I was trying to shock people and it was, um, you know, bad attempts at irony or I was just ignorant and immature. So for all those reasons, I go, okay, I'll cut myself a break there. I'm, I'm not doing that stuff now. Uh, no, in terms of stuff I put out there these days, like I said earlier, because I've got a better, better sense of who I am and what I find funny, I sort of back everything I put out there and I also accept that some people won't like it, particularly the targets of the sketch, you know. But if I feel I can justify it morally or comedically, then I sort of am happy to back it. And the, the longer you are in showbiz, the more you accept happily that some people will love what you do. You know, I have a particular niche with political nerds and musical comedy lovers and, and grandmas who watch ABC. That's my, that's my sweet target <laughs> crowd. Others don't, hate me. Others think I'm some, you know, lefty, woke snowflake on the ABC who they couldn't pay enough not to see me so i'm comfortable with all that and i think that makes you more confident doing what you're doing because there's nothing worse than trying to please everyone i think that's what i started to do in early in my career just trying to please everyone which is you know you're never going to do that so you'll just be constantly unhappy yeah definitely so i mean you've kind of segued really well into my next question which is do you find that politics sometimes especially at the moment is can be so ridiculous is it hard to satirize it (laughs) Well, I thought like five years ago, I was I, when I started the weekly sketch on the ABC. I was genuinely worried about the same thing. I was like, well, I, I was worried almost that um, we wouldn't have enough material. And then that was the same week that uh, Barnaby Joyce announced his staffer was pregnant, and Malcolm Turnbull <laughs> invented a bonk, a bonk ban for Parliament. That's a pretty so, good like, week to start. Yeah, <laughs> like, one of the challenges has been because the news has been so absurd, like you just said, and, and like Donald Trump being elected and all this stuff. It's how do you? How do you put a spin on it? And, and on, on a creative level also, because we've got this great thing called the internet now, when people are creating so much content on, and particularly with TikTok, for example, and the, it, it can be hard when you've got a two or three day lag between creating something and it going on TV, when half the world has made the same jokes already in a much quicker way. Uh, that pushed me and always still does push me to try and come up with an original idea because you just don't want to be doing the same thing. So for me, whether it's because I do it in a song or a take a more personal approach but that's the constant um creative challenge because yes you're right the world is a dumpster fire and politics is always hilarious so um it sometimes can write itself yeah it definitely can be so just unbelievable at the moment especially oh absolutely i love opening up the news <laughs> um <laughs> i can hear the tears in your eyes <laughs> <laughs> yes when you have to do it for university it's a little bit bittersweet oh my gosh <laughs> i remember that see but when i was at uni studying uh 20 years ago we had to open up the actual newspaper so look how look how times have changed oh, what's that <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's like a really flexible ipad <laughs> <laughs> oh, i love that um Still in the politics strain, is there any field in politics that you wouldn't touch? If so, why or why not? Uh, it's a wonderful question. And like my, my uh, philosophical position is that in comedy, nothing should be off limits. Like you can talk about anything you want because that's the whole point of comedy. That's the whole point of free speech. You should be able to say what you want. But what I add to that is the caveat that if you want a career, you've also got to be aware of your audience. So you can get up on stage at an open mic night and make Nazi jokes all you like or incest jokes and think you're the most wonderful, original, you know, uh, 
provocative comedian in the world. But if they're not the best jokes in the world, you're going to get you're going to turn the audience off. They're not going to like you. They're not going to come back and see you, and you probably won't have a sustainable career. And if you choose to do that, good on you. Go nuts. However, I believe if you you know want to have a, a, an audience who appreciate you, and you don't want to be hated or whatever, yeah. then you would you, you use your free speech wisely, and you use it with the audience in mind because it's always about people in a room. And I think I, I took some time to learn this because early on, particularly I was doing some purposely like offensive stuff. I'd sing songs and stuff, you know, that were basically, if not racist, they were like misogynistic or whatever, because I was the joke being, oh, I'm such a nice guy that I'm, we all know that I don't really mean this. And that's the joke. But that wasn't appreciating the fact that still people in the audience will respond viscerally to that stuff, regardless of any ironic veil. And so I've, you know, learned the, the audience is everything and you've got to take them with you. And if you're choosing to divide the audience by being shocking or by uh, addressing really sensitive areas, then that's fine and you have the right to do that. But don't be surprised if the reaction is not what you wanted, um, which is a long verbose way of saying, no, I don't think there's anything off limits, but there's certainly a lot of stuff I wouldn't touch. Even to take an example right now, like the voice to parliament is a huge um, debate discussion going on right now. I'm um, not doing my sketches at the moment on ABC, so I don't have to, face that every every week but i know last year when that would come up we addressed it in a few different ways but it was also always one that i had to sort of take a breath and go into battle because i knew that as soon as it went up on youtube or facebook or twitter then everyone would come at me with really serious opinions and and love and hate because it's, it is a topic that people get really passionate about so again i had to be aware of the audience there it's not like i'm just playing in my bedroom yeah, definitely. I mean, we totally get that with The Voice. It feels like there's just new stuff to talk about. We could write a segment every single week for, you know, new developments yeah. in that story. So when and, uh, you, yeah. It'll give you plenty of material until November or whenever the, exactly. <laughs> the vote is held. It's pretty much a recurring segment on our show now. We talk about it every yep. week. Yep. Um, so you did mention before you've got to sort of know your audience and know what they want, right? Um, but of course, yeah. I feel like sometimes with comedians, there's a conflict where they have the material that they really want to do, but they also have to go, oh, does my audience actually want to hear that? How do you sort of find that balance in not just what your audience wants to hear, but what they sort of find uh, acceptable in terms of commentary? Yeah, well, you you find it by trial and error, I think, and it's a, it's a, it's this hot mess of ingredients um, um, because I've... I'm about to say, but I was about to apologise for crapping on about myself, and I was like, "Well, you asked me a question, so I will." In that <laughs> That's the whole point of the segment. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but like, but but um, you know, I I started doing musical comedy. I then started um, work with Randy, yeah, Sammy Jane, Randy. So we got this lovely big global audience of people who loved our shenanigans together. Then I switched to uh, political satire on the ABC. Now the audience that I got from that were pretty much the same audience who found. Sammy Jane Randy far too weird and offensive. And so I, I've sort of got this scattered. And then I started doing Playground Politics, which was a, a, a parody of Play School. So I had kids watching my stuff and, and I've just done a Play School appearance recently. And I do ABC Radio, which is a sort of older leaning audience, which is a long way of saying I've got a lot of disparate audiences out there. And I've absolutely encountered what you just described, which is people coming along expecting one thing and not getting the other. So I think two things. First of all, I try and be really honest about whatever show I'm doing. So this show at the Comedy Festival is objectively a show about politics and with characters from my ABC show. So people who are coming expecting Sammy Jane Randy, um, you know, they knew the risks. Uh, and secondly, <laughs> I, I, the, the more I go, I do find there's more and more cross-pollination of audiences where people come along because they saw me in something else and then they come to a different sort of version of that. 
I really love that. That to me is the ultimate challenge that over years, despite the difference in format or presentation, ultimately it's still me and it's still my sense of humour underneath underpinning it all. And so I really like the idea that that could um, become a broader, uh, a broader audience. But you know, next year I might do a stand-up show, for example, that is not to do with politics at all. And I'll probably do a much smaller venue because I'm aware that that won't have as big a, an audience as the ABC stuff to begin with. But artistically, that, that will feel quite liberating. Yeah, that's that's fascinating. And you did mention there uh, one of your segments of your audience uh, is your radio listeners. And um, we wanted to chat a bit about that. And so when you moved into Breakfast Radio in 2020, that feels so long ago, did you see it as a natural continuation of your show and your stand-up and comedy or was it quite a new challenge something very new in your world that you wanted to try it was yeah very new and very unexpected because I was sort of um effectively they came to me it wasn't something where I'd been bashing down the door I'd been hanging out doing a few radio spots here and there but I I always thought that talkback radio was something I might do in my 50s or 60s honestly I never thought I'd be doing it at age 36 and when the opportunity came up, I thought, look, give it a go. It's showbiz. You take your chances. And um, I happened to get very lucky because then, as we all know, a month after I started in January 2020, the COVID hit and suddenly I was left uh, not just with a stable job, which I was very grateful for, but I was also on the radio every day delivering all this awful news and being locked down here in Melbourne and sort of going through it together with people. So it turned out to be a real blessing for me because I think what it did was force me to be myself more and be sincere when I needed to be without the self-defensiveness of, of comedy always and um, that's been the biggest and loveliest thing I've taken from it because it certainly has opened me up to a, that different audience and it's let me grow as well because I don't have to be as just I don't have to be as anxious about trying to be funny all the time and all that you know there's a place for that but there's also a place just to chill out and talk normally. Yeah definitely. Um, speaking of all that you know awful news that you had to break how did you kind of deal with that because <laughs> I mean that's not easy and it's been basically three well, years of one thing after another. Yeah, but well, it was uh, genuinely, it was, it was because I'm so, like my whole life has been preparing stuff, like I write a song or write a script and then I present it to people. So there was always a huge gap, you know, between, uh, there was a safety net for me. But radio, I was, I was turning up to, to work and I was swapping like toilet paper and pasta with my radio team because we didn't know like, whether there'd be, like, and, then I'd, and then I'd go on air 20 minutes later and go, hey guys, guess what? I just swapped toilet paper. Like, what are you doing today? And so there was this, the way I handled it was just by being honest. Like, it was like, man, this is weird, isn't it? What's going on? What are you, like, we're all dealing with hand sanitizer and all those early days still give me a shudder when I think back because it was so new and weird. Um, but also, I was, I guess I also lent into the light relief a bit. I was also like, okay, we're going to talk, talk about COVID for half an hour. And then I think I invented a little audio jingle, which was like COVID free zone. And I'd play that. And then we'd just talk about something other than COVID for a while. And I think the listeners appreciated that as well. Yeah, it was definitely. A, a safe point. Yeah. So it was, it, well, I was just stumbling along, but I think I probably had like 10 years worth of radio experience condensed into three months at the start of COVID because I just had to be real and I had to respond. And I was talking to, you know, health professionals and people who were really scared at home. And so it was, um, it was a wild time. I'm not going to lie to you. Yeah. A bit of a baptism uh, by fire sort of thing. <laughs> I, I love how you were just running like a market inside a government building. I think that's incredible. That's my favorite thing ever. Um, and then I guess, I <laughs> uh, in sort of, God forbid, a non COVID stricken world, um, do you have a particular process for a, for preparing for a breakfast show? How do you keep it fresh every morning? Uh, and what do you do? What do you pick? How do you choose? And how do you oh. sort of keep it at your 
uh, comedy roots while also acknowledging this sort of massive breakfast audience that has very specific expectations attached to the format? Wow, hey, well, it's a big question, and because I feel like I'm, you know, I feel like I'm most friends here on Represent, so I'll, I'll answer it honestly. Because like, if I was like on commercial radio right now, I'd be like, oh, you just turn up and read the news, it's all fun. But actually, <laughs> it's it's like harder. Like you know, preparing these shows, it, 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 because you're having to be yourself. It all depends on how you're feeling on the day and about your energy. And like today on radio this morning, I had a shocker for me. It was it was a fine show. Like I think the listeners got what they needed, but I was not in the zone as much. And I was doing some interviews where I was thinking about what I was going to have a breakfast after the show, stuff, which is never, never good. I think we've all but, been there. But, you know, yeah, I've, I've got a team with me, so we, we get together. I turn up at 4.30 or 5 o'clock every morning, and we, and we, and we talk through the papers, and then we um, uh, talk about what stories we might want to cover, and we've also got some regular guests who always come on and do great stuff. So uh, as far as the comedy stuff goes, I think I spent the early stages of radio trying to turn it into a comedy show, which was just, I learned a big mistake, because people... You know, ABC Talkback Radio is a specific audience and it's a specific service. Like it's paid for by the public because they want to know what's happening around Melbourne and around in the news and they want to relax and, and just be informed. They don't necessarily want to hear me have some 10-minute soliloquy about my pet rabbit or some song I wrote. You know, that's what the comedy world is for. And I've got good pet rabbit gear. I want to make that clear, represent. But uh, for radio, I, I've learnt to sort of separate it out from the comedy world completely and in that way i can just be a radio broadcaster and then if i want to have fun and be stupid or have jokes that's great but it's not the expectation so um yeah turn up be present have fun They're the, that's my mantra each morning uh and the being present is the main thing i think i, I actually you've got to work on actively listening and um because someone said uh, you know the, the biggest skill in radio is not talking it's the listening and i think that's actually true because when you're talking to whoever it is you want to be out tuned in and, and able to um yeah turn it into a conversation. Definitely. I think we should write that on a wall in the studio or something. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> get the Sharpie, get the Sharpie. <laughs> turn up, be present, have fun. And then you can write uh, Sammy J underneath it, 1983 to 2025. When am I going to die, you reckon? Oh, well, you've got a got show that goes years. until like 2058, so yeah. Yeah. Uh, you oh, yeah, can't I do. clock yeah, out right. before then. Hopefully okay. we die after that one, yeah. yeah. <laughs> after the 50-year show. Okay, good plan. Well, we, we will have to wrap up soon, but on the topic of making sure you're having fun in radio and uh, on the topic of one of your recent Instagram posts, I'd love to know, have you convinced any other ABC employees to turn up to work in Neon Lycra? <laughs> uh, not one person has accepted my invitation. That's and, pretty uh, disappointing, wow. to yeah, be honest. <laughs> the outfit you're referring to uh, was... We used to belong to Delta Goodrum and I stole it from a wardrobe assistant who had worked with her. And, um, and it was quite awkward because I was interviewing Delta once and I told her and then she like got a bit miffed and asked if she could have it back and I haven't responded. <laughs> but no, you there's something about dressing. Delta. you got to dress up. When you're broadcasting, no one can see it, but he's wearing a power suit. It's a, it's a good feeling. I mean, I can imagine that. I think we should all start coming to represent in just funny outfits now. We should theme it. Or better, yeah. Next time you're doing it at the ABC, Sammy, hit us up. We'll come along. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I was going to reverse that. I'll I'll come to you in a wacky outfit. Oh, absolutely. Surely, surely. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, we might leave that one there. Um, Thank you so much for chatting to us. What? Uh, An absolute pleasure, represent. Love to chat. And, uh, yeah. Happy to drop in any time as well. I fully support political-based podcasts. It's my happy place. Yeah, we are so grateful that you've taken the time out to chat with us today. Um, We will leave that interview there. 
You've been listening to a Sin Media podcast where young people run the show. 